0: I uh, chose this uh, passage and this title, Ditches Worth Dying In, Memorial Day weekend, um, reminding us of people who died in some ditches for the freedom of our country and for other nations, not just America, but in our peacekeeping missions around the world. But this is a story about a different kind of ditch and a man named Stephen who died in it for a different kind of kingdom. It's found in Acts seven, fifty four through eight one. When they heard these things they became enraged and they ground their teeth at Stephen. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears. And with a loud shout, all rushed together against him. And then they dragged him out of the city. And they began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he died. And Saul approved of their killing him. The word of the Lord. Now, Stephen was one of the original seven deacons of the early church. In fact, he was, there were seven, they were the first ones ever. And they were formed because there were complaints in the early church that, quote, widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. So apparently, there was some system of taking care of the widows among them, and there was food distributed throughout the church for those in need. And the 12 apostles who had been Jesus' disciples, and becoming apostles meant they, re- they were up 30,000 feet, taking care of a larger picture. Many, many disciples, only a few apostles. And the 12 now are the 11 originals plus the replacement for Judas. And his name was Matthias. And so these 12 established the office of deacon in the church. And the first seven deacons were Stephen and Philip. That's interesting. My name is Stephen Philip. Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicolaus. These were the seven men appointed to care for the widows and those in need. Now it says that Stephen was, quote, full of grace and power, and he did great wonders and signs among the people, and so he was brought before the Jewish authorities for speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. And his defense of uh, before this council is in the seventh chapter of Acts, the entire seventh chapter of Acts is the defense of Stevens, very well done, masterful in fact, and he weaves the history of Israel and Abraham and all the, all the promise of the covenant into Jesus Christ and his resurrection, and it says they were enraged. Their job was to protect the old, and something new was happening. Their job was to make sure nobody broke the rules, but something was happening outside the rules. And so they dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone him to death. Stephen was the first Christian martyr of the church. Now, can you imagine being persecuted simply for coming here and worshiping today? I remember when Catherine and I were in Debretson, Hungary, uh, some years ago in the great church of Debretson, There were older people in the congregation who remembered being under communist rule. And one, one lady was talking to me and she said, I remember the day when the government sent somebody to stand at the front door of the church with a notepad And we had to sign it before we worshipped. They were keeping tabs on us. And there are people being persecuted for being Christians as I speak in this modern world. But we're not. In fact, the church in America has enjoyed what some have called American Christendom. And there was a time when Christianity was considered the unofficial, official religion of America. Oh, there were Jews. And there were Muslims in our country from the very beginning. And there were Buddhists and Hindus and atheists and agnostics, Thomas Jefferson himself. But Christianity, no, we were considered the emperor's church. We had the endorsement of our government. Our prayers were prayed in public schools where people paid their taxes. And yet the Jewish children and the agnostics and the atheists and the Buddhist would sit and listen to prayers offered in the name of Jesus Christ, the unofficial official religion of America. Our prayers were prayed at sporting events. Before football games, we had the freedom to go down in the field and take a microphone and pray a prayer, which I was always been conflicted over this. Uh, And so I stopped praying at sporting events because you'd go down and pray, Lord, help these boys not to kill each other tonight, although they will try in the name of Jesus. (laughs) Our prayers were prayed at government meetings where I would be called in my lifetime, over my 38 years of ministry, when I was younger, they'd call and say, can you come down to city council tonight, for a prayer? Well, I'd go down and they'd say, look, uh, we know you're Presbyterian and all that. Could you just not mention Jesus? Kind of do a generic prayer. And I finally said, no, um, nope. Uh, when you want a Presbyterian, you go get a Presbyterian let my Jewish brother pray his Jewish prayer and my Buddhist brother pray his Buddhist prayer. And let me pray my prayer and stop trying to neuter who we are because we all bring a richness to the table. So I quit praying for government meetings and at sporting events. And America was changing on my watch. Our symbols of faith were displayed at, Christ- at Christmas time on government property. Taxpayers' property would have, would have a, uh, a little, uh, you know, that thing. Um, yeah, the crash, thank you. And there'd be the baby Jesus and the wise men, and, and that was all that's there. Now, if there's a crash, there's a plastic blow-up, Frosty the Snowman, a menorah, and a Rudolph the red Nose Reindeer. Why? Well, we've all got to be there. It's taxpayers' land. And I actually agree with that. But things have changed. We're no longer the religion of America. One day of the week used to belong to us. Now it belongs to the NFL. Stores were closed because of us. Because we worshipped on Sunday, Belts was not open. And now all the stores are open. As they perhaps should be. Why should the world be forced to have our religion as the standard of its behavior? Chores were abandoned. Nobody cut their grass when I was a child growing up on Sunday. if If somebody cut their grass on Sunday, they were from somewhere else. Right? And no one dared play soccer, the new religion of America. Or golf. Ouch. You see, American Christendom is not dying, American Christendom is over. It is dead. No longer are we the unofficial, official religion. Of the country, although a lot of conservatives and fundamentals would like to take us back, we're not going back. And our country never was 100% Christian. It's always been eclectic, diverse, full of all kinds of people. And our forefathers and mothers guarded our right, all people's right, to worship or not worship the God of their choice in the the, uh, provisions of separation of church and state, which, by the way, was birthed in this city right downtown. In that battle that happened here, the entire American nation has benefited from those who pushed forward on the issue of freedom of religion. So now we're free from the state, No longer obliging the state because they pay for our buildings and our paint and our lights through the taxpayers' money, but we now pay for our own way as others pay for their own way, so therefore we are free to speak out against the ethics and the immoralities that are happening in our society. And somehow people have gotten confused to think that separation of church and state means the church doesn't have the right to speak to the issues. It's the exact opposite. We are free from the state to speak to the state for the state. And we have Richmond, Virginia to thank for that freedom. But we are no longer the official religion of the American empire. Last year, I traveled all over the country as a consultant, and, and I realized how small the church is becoming of all Presbyterian churches have 200 members or less. And most in attendance are having 50 to 75 people. That's the church. You are an enigma. We're the small percentage at the top. Memberships are shrinking, budgets are shrinking, the pews are turning gray, and the world has changed. So, who are we now? I think it depends on how you look at it. Is the church headed to extinction or are we on the brink of of another reformation, reformation? Are we going to be reformed again? Without the endorsements of the government or our society, which we have neither now, we now have the opportunity to define who we really are. We have the opportunity to move from being a membership church where someone just has their membership here, pays a little dues, and we provide baptisms, weddings, and funerals, and valet parking, and vacation Bible school, and whatever else our membership needs, we have a chance to move away from that church, from a membership church to a discipleship church. We have the opportunity to move away from being mere civic religion where America, where the church blesses America no matter what she does, to being a church that belongs to Jesus Christ because of what he does. Americans today no longer go to church because they have to. And that was what it was when I was a child. You wouldn't dare not go to church. Everybody went to church, even if they didn't understand why. Even if they weren't really in it. They went because of the connections and the fact that you'd be immoral if you didn't go to church. In fact, when you moved to Richmond, one of the first things they used to ask you was, and where do you attend church? Now they ask, what club do you belong to? It's a difference. The shift is from obligation. I have to go to motivation. Why am I here? If Stephen could come back, how do you think he'd answer that question? Stephen, why are you here? Perhaps he would say, I'm here because of him, because of what Christ has done in my life. I'm here to worship God. I'm not here to be spoon fed. I'm not here as a consumer to make my week easier. I might die this week for being a Christian. I'm here because he has called me to himself. I hardly think Stephen would have offered up his life for mere church membership. But I'm optimistic about the church, and I know, I know you find that hard to believe after everything I've just said, but I am for two reasons. One, Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church, and that's a relief. I, he builds it, not me. And he said, the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Now, you can read that two ways. One is, the gates of Hades cannot push in on the church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Or, you can read it, the gates of hell can't keep the church out of hell. I like that one. That we will march into hell with a message of resurrection. We will march into our culture with a message of hope and love and acceptance and grace and peace in a world that has very little of any of that. A second reason I'm optimistic is because Jesus brought up the matter of pruning. He said in John's gospel, I'm the true vine. My father's the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit. Now that's you in your life, my life. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. He cuts it back. And so the question is, is the church in America being pruned? Pruned are we being cut back? And you know, I've pruned some things. It looks like you're going to kill it when you prune it. I have actually killed things when I pruned them. And my wife's not over it yet. But if you prune it right, you cut back something that looks like it's a big thing and you cut it back to 16 inches and you think, I wonder if, (laughs) you know, And you see that bud come out and you say, thank you, God. It's going to grow again. I think that's where the church is today. I think we're being cut back from being the emperor's church. We're being cut back from the endorsements of government. We're being cut back from folks showing up because they have to. We're being cut back from being a rotary club or a Kiwanis club. We're being cut back from civic religion, and we're going to be cut back to a place where we can be a real church, where people have what Stephen had faith in God. And we're here because of him. We're not here for us. Stephen didn't die for something that didn't matter. You wouldn't have to give Stephen a pledge card or beg him to turn it in on time. You wouldn't have to wonder whether Stephen was going to be at church on Memorial Day weekend. He was church. He didn't go to church. He was church. So church went with him. Back into the marketplace and into the world. We are the church. We don't go to church. We are the church of Jesus Christ. Whatever it was Stephen had, we need some of it today. Now there's an interesting piece at the ending of this story. While they were stoning him... He he prayed some prayers that sound like Jesus on the cross. He said, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's imitating Jesus. And isn't that what we're called to do? To be like him. But did you catch who was standing there? A young man named Saul. Saul. And it says that everyone laid their coats at the feet of this young man while they were stoning Stephen. So it's like, here, Saul, hold my coat so I can get in on this. And when, Saul, when, when Stephen died, they recorded this sentence. This is a disturbing sentence in the Bible. And Saul approved of their killing. Can you imagine the violence of this? Now Saul became Paul. And Paul went on to be stoned and beaten for his faith in this Jesus for whom Stephen died. If a person is willing to die in a ditch, there must be something in that ditch worth dying for. I think it gnawed on Paul. What does that man have that I don't have? I have a religion. He has a relationship. I have the rules. He has righteousness. I'm trying to be good. He knows God. I want what he's having. And Paul's life was changed and he went on to be the church's greatest church builder. He also wrote, I find this comical, a Pharisee, an ex-Pharisee, who agreed to Stephen Stoning, wrote two-thirds of your New Testament. That's God's sense of humor. And Paul died in a Roman prison, they say. Because of his faith in Christ. What does this have to do with us? Well, if you no longer have the endorsement of government or society, which you don't, and people are not lined up out the door to get in here, which they aren't, then we might better find a ditch worth dying in and be a real church. In a world that is often filled with stones and willing to throw them. I want to belong to Stephen's church. I want what he's having. A church that belongs to Christ himself. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.